This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Wakefield, and I am here to help you take charge of your health, get empowered, and ultimately become the best version of yourself. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the podcast, guys. So on today's episode, this is a Q&A. So I put a question box up on my Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, I'm at GirlFitMethod. I answered all of these. This was a live that I did on Instagram. We cover HA and how to recover from that, when to know when to stop reverse dieting, what your maintenance calories should be, why you might be gaining weight at maintenance calories, a whole range of really phenomenal questions. I know you're going to love this episode. And if you do enjoy this episode, please, guys, make sure you take a screenshot of it and share it onto your stories. I love to see who is listening to the podcast episode and what they love about it. Now, if you also could, if you enjoy my podcast episodes, leaving a review, a rating, making sure you're following me on Spotify. Honestly, I can't actually explain to you how helpful it is. And it just means the absolute world. All right, guys, let's get stuck into today's podcast episode. Alrighty, so let's get stuck into these questions that I've received off of Instagram. So question number one, how to minimize loose skin and stretch marks during weight loss journey? I've got to lose 15 kilos. Really great question. And what can be really difficult with this is a lot of it does come down to genetics and how quickly you lose the weight. So really what you're wanting to do anyway is aim for about 500 grams of losing 500 grams a week if you've got a substantial amount of fat to lose. That's a really good amount. If you're dropping much more than that, you actually want to make sure you pull it back a little bit. Now, the quicker you lose weight, usually the more likely you are going to potentially get stretch marks. However, once again, this really comes down to genetics and sometimes there's not a whole heap you can do about that. As well with loose skin, if you have an excessive amount of fat to lose, that sometimes can happen. Um, And the same thing can happen with pregnancy as well. So once again, genetics play a really, really big part in this, but just make sure that you're losing weight at a, a reasonable rate. And I think 500 grams per week is usually a really good amount to be focusing and aiming for. All right. So are 13,000 steps a day going to make my muscle mass disappear? Right. So when we talk about cardio affecting you being able to to build muscle, we want to look at a few things. So we want to look at how much you're consuming and really how much cardio you're doing. Now, if, excuse me, it was 13,000 steps is not going to be an issue. What you do need to make sure you're doing is you're eating enough in order to be able to, I guess, make up for the calories that you're burning and being quite active, right? Now, we know that building muscle takes food, takes energy. And so if we're burning a lot of that energy through daily activities and we're not fueling our body to be able to grow muscle, then potentially, you know, you're not going to be able to build that muscle. However, will it make your muscle disappear? No. Look, the only way that you can lose muscle is to eat in a calorie deficit, essentially, and for your body to lose weight. So a combination of fat and of muscle. Now, if you're making sure that you're still eating enough food to maintain your current weight and you're eating enough protein, you'll be absolutely fine. Okay, so how much does a bad night of sleep affect scale weight? Look, 
not getting enough sleep, and, and this person has said a bad night. So if it's a one-off, it's really not a massive issue. However, if you are consistently not getting enough sleep, that's going to have a negative impact on your ability to lose fat. And really the majority of that comes down to your energy output during the day. So your ability to progressively overload in your workouts, to expend a lot of energy because your body's quite fatigued. The second thing you want to think about is what that does hormonally for us. So it can increase cortisol levels, which is our stress hormone. It can also increase ghrelin, which is our hunger hormone. Usually when we're really sleep deprived, we're more peckish. We want food. We want foods that are higher in carbohydrates and sugars because our body is craving energy because it's so fatigued. So one night of bad sleep, not a big deal. However, if you're chronically not getting enough sleep, that absolutely can impact your ability to to be able to, to lose fat. All right. Someone asked me, did I eat in a surplus every day on my holiday? So I did not track my calories on my holiday. For me, holidays are about really relaxing. I've got a a fantastic routine when I come back home. I exercise, I eat for my goals. When I'm on holiday, I just relax. I don't exercise. I mean, I'm very active. We walk, we did lots of things but I wasn't tracking calories. I enjoyed myself, but I also made decisions that aligned with my goals. It's not kind of like a free for all. And I think sometimes when people get into that mentality where they're like, okay, I'm on holidays now. Well, that means it's like, you know, I can just go crazy and do whatever I want. That's because when they go back to reality, they feel like they need to restrict. Where if you're in the the understanding and the mindset that all food is good food and you can incorporate those foods that you enjoy eating, even on holidays into your everyday life and still see results, then that need to overeat and overconsume when you're on holidays isn't really there. Like you don't really feel the need to do that. However, I think giving yourself the ability to relax a little bit more, maybe eat foods that you generally wouldn't eat. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's a holiday. You know, for me, it was like literally three nights out of my whole year. I mean, that's even if I did eat in a surplus, that's going to make absolutely no impact. Now, I probably did eat in a surplus a couple of days, but, you know, I don't really care. Like I said, I come back home, I'm back into routine and back training and also back eating the foods that I enjoy. And it's kind of funny, like when you go off track a little bit, I kind of, I don't know if you guys are like this, but it can feel really nice going back to a routine and a bit of a structure as well. You kind of appreciate it more. All right. So the next question is, once you reverse diet, how fast does the body wake up, start working. And by this question, I believe this person is talking about their metabolism and when their metabolism and their biofeedback starts to improve. And when I talk about biofeedback, really what I'm referring to is the signs that your body is is telling you where it's at health-wise. Now, that can be hormonal, that can be your hunger cues, your focus on food, your mental health, your energy, all of those things. And what a reverse diet essentially does is get you out of a deficit or low calories and brings your maintenance or brings you back up to maintenance calories, right? Now, the signs that your body and your biofeedback is improving will look like better hormonal health. It'll look like not thinking about food constantly. It'll be like feeling like your workouts are just so much better than how they were. Your energy's back. Maybe your sleep's better. Your relationships are improving. You're not as short with people or impatient. They're all really, really fantastic signs that things are feeling really good. For most of the women that we work with, because they come from such a restrictive background, 
usually the biggest key is that they stop thinking about food all the time. And usually it comes down to like, oh my goodness, how do I get this much food into my mouth on a daily basis? Um, And that's actually a really good thing for us as we go, oh, okay, this person's actually consuming enough food for them to be able to get some really incredible results in the way of biofeedback improving and them feeling like they're themselves again and obsessed with food because they're not restricting in a really obsessive way. That's going to change for every single person. It's going to be different because it just depends on where you're coming in from. However, for some of our girls, they've lost their period. So getting your period back is a really great sign as well. All right, next question. How many workout sessions should I be doing a week to get results? So this is really going to differ from person to person. So essentially what you want to think about is what can you commit to? And what I get my girls to think about is on their busiest week. So let's just say work's been really stressful. If you've got kids, like the kids have been sick or you've just got lots going on, then what can you actually commit to on a consistent basis? So you get that number in your head and then anything above that is a bonus. Now, if you go into it with really high expectations, so let's just say you think, oh, look, I know that I'd be able to get three workouts in a week, then you make that your goal. So your three workouts a week are your goal. Anything that you want to add on top of that is a bonus. Now, if you go into it going, no, I'm going to try and get five workouts a week, then on the weeks where you really can't be able to get to the gym five days, you're going to feel like you've let yourself down. You're going to feel like you failed. And that's setting yourself up for failure, essentially. So what you want to do is set it at a realistic amount and then build upon that. Now, three days a week, I think for the majority of people is perfect. It's achievable. You can do three full body workouts. You get phenomenal results with that. You don't need to be going to the gym four, five, six times a week. If you have a busy life and you can't get there, you can get some incredible results from going three days a week and being consistent at that. And that's key. It's about what you can be consistent with because that's what's going to eventually then get you to your end goal and get you achieving some really incredible results. Do we work with people with high cortisol production? Yeah, we do. I would say a really huge amount of the women that we do work with have high cortisol levels. A lot of us do think we have high cortisol levels, but there needs to be, I mean, that does need to be tested. And a a small amount of time where we're stressed really won't mean you have consistent elevated cortisol levels. However, if you have been in a stressful environment or the decisions that you've made around exercise and nutrition have been ongoing and long-term, absolutely you can have high cortisol levels and that's going to have a really negative impact on your overall health your sleep your energy levels uh your appetite your ability to build muscle to lose fat a whole range of different things and it needs to be approached in a holistic way Um, and that's exactly what we do with a lot of our girls and once again it's going to differ how we approach that with each girl depending on their situation and what's caused the high cortisol level in the first place. Someone has asked me, gaining weight in maintenance after four months, haven't changed diet or workout. Why would I be gaining weight? Really great question. So the first thing you want to think about is if you're eating at maintenance calories and you're gaining fat, then you're not at maintenance calories. You're in a surplus. So when we think about maintenance calories, maintenance will maintain your weight. Now, I didn't use the word weight. I use the word fat because remember, scale weight can be quite volatile and it can increase. And what I'm actually thinking is happening in this situation, which does happen for a lot of women, is that they begin to eat for their goals. So they start to nourish their body adequately and they start to lift weights. And because they're in this new 
phase where they're a beginner, essentially their body really takes to that, right? And so what can happen is, is you can actually lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. And what that will mean is potentially the scale will go up. And all that is, is that you're actually gaining muscle. So it's not necessarily fat. So the first thing I would say is, are you taking body measurements and are you taking progress pictures? Because they're really good indications of how you're progressing. However, if you're not doing that and you're only going off scale weight, then you're really not giving yourself a clear indication and picture as to what's happening with your body and how it's progressing. So that would be my first point. Um, that I would be putting across is make sure you're using other metrics to track your progress, even the way that your clothes fit as well. And then second, potentially, are you tracking your calories? Are you actually eating at maintenance? Have you started to increase your intake? But you've said that your nutritionist stay the same. I think you're probably building muscle and you just need to not worry so much about what the scale is saying and actually use other metrics to track your progress. Next question How do I stop feeling so bloated? It's making me feel like I have gained weight. Yeah, so a lot of women and even myself in particular, when I'm feeling relatively bloated, you feel bigger because you kind of have this feeling of fullness and ugh, and it's really horrible. Now, with bloating, obviously, there are so many different things that can affect our digestion. So it can be the kinds of foods that we're consuming, when we're consuming them, how fast we're consuming them. It can be stress. Stress is a huge one. The connection between the gut and the brain is something I think that we underplay and we really don't put a lot of focus into. However, let's have a look at like how much fiber are you consuming a day? Are you eating not enough fiber or too much fiber? And the range is really around like, you know, 25 to 35 grams of fiber each day is a really good amount for most people. Are you eating foods that are exacerbating your uh, your issues with bloating? So um, some really common culprits will be a lot of artificial sweeteners, even just like protein bars as well. I can't eat protein bars. Oh my gosh. So I had this, um, I shouldn't be saying this, but I tell you what screwed with my digestion on my holiday was I had some um, like hot chocolates, which are very common here in Australia and they have um, a certain sweetener in them. And oh my goodness, I forgot. I cannot have this sweetener. I was so sick the next day and I was so bloated. And for some people, it's completely fine. So it's really about figuring out what your triggers are. The other thing you want to keep in mind is make sure you're chewing your food adequately. Another really great tip is to go for a walk after each main meal, just a 10 minute walk. And that really aids and helps in digestion as well. Being mindful when you're eating, sitting down, not being distracted, not gulping down your food, not waiting until you're starving to then eat because you'll probably eat really quickly. So these are all things you want to really consider and and maybe eliminate some of those things or really focus on some of these those things and make notes of how your digestion has been after that to kind of figure out what the culprit is all right next question how do i know when to stop reverse dieting and i get this question all the time look depends on what you why you're reverse dieting so First of all, the most obvious one is if you start to gain fat, then you're pushing into a calorie surplus. And if you don't want to eat in a calorie surplus, then it's probably time to stop. But for the most of the girls that we work with, we know it's time to stop when they are feeling like they have enough food. They don't actually want to continue to increase their calories. I'm the same. I hit about 2,700 calories and I'm like, listen, I don't want to eat anymore. Like I feel quite full all the time and I feel really satiated and I feel like I don't need any more. And in that situation, that for me is like, okay, it's time now to just stay where I am and focus on building muscle and uh, working really hard. Now, 
that's going to be different for every single person. We have had issues and some of our girls, when they're not used to eating more food, they're getting up to like 1800 calories, 1900 calories. And they're like, oh, this is enough. I'm feeling really full. And what you want to think about is that it's going to be an adjustment process. So if you've been under consuming for a really long period of time, then there's all the chances in the world you're going to be having digestive issues and it's going to take some time for your body to get used to essentially eating more food, right? And you need to be patient. That can be a really hard season and a really hard time because you're not feeling great and you kind of feel like you're somewhat force feeding yourself, which is a really horrible feeling. But just know that if you're under consuming for a really long period of time, it's going to feel uncomfortable as you start to increase those calories. That is just completely normal. If I lose weight, does that mean I need to up my maintenance calories? If you lose weight, it means you probably need to decrease your maintenance calories. The reason I say that is because really it's going to go off the sides of human you are. So as you become a lighter human, your body needs less calories. So if you've just finished a calorie deficit, this is my advice. What I get my girls to do is decrease calories maybe by about 10% from their maintenance, their old maintenance calories, right? So a really great way to do it would be to maybe jump back up to what your old maintenance was, but just minus maybe 200 calories. Sit there for a couple of weeks, monitor what happens with your body weight, progress pictures, body measurements, and then increase from there. Things are staying stable, start to increase and go about it that way. But as you lose weight and you become a smaller human, you need less calories essentially. How to know when to cut. All right, a few things here. Well, first of all, if you have an excessive amount of fat to lose and you're, you know, maybe more so on the obese side of things, then that's going to be really impacting your overall health. So obviously you need to be losing some fat. Now, if this question is coming from someone who has been under consuming for a really long period of time, then you really want to make sure that you are spending a good amount of time just focusing on building muscle, eating at maintenance calories. I find if you're a beginner, body recomposition happens there anyway, and you will lose fat, right? However, sometimes it's about being comfortable with just sitting where you are to set yourself up for long-term success for a fat loss, period. So for me, let's just take my example of my recent cut You know, I was able to drop a good amount of fat very quickly on 2000 calories because I've spent a long time eating a good amount of food, right? So I've set myself up for success. If you're coming into this, you know, constantly eating like 1300 calories and you're like, yep, cool, want to lose fat. Well, you know, how are you going to go eating like 900 calories a week? It's not going to go too well for you, right? So you want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. You've got some room to move. With your calorie deficit, meaning at the points where you plateau and you want to lose more fat, you're going to need to decrease those calories and you're going to have to have some room and some calories to play with there. All right, next question. Oh, this question got me. Is lifting heavy also recommended for achieving a model physique? So we actually do work with a good amount of models, runway models who require to stay a certain size which I do have issues with and measurements, um, which we won't go into today. However, um, this is what I want you to think about. So if you've got an image in your mind, and I don't think this person is actually a model, I think they just want to have that look. First of all, 
you may not have that person's genetics. So just remember, genetics play a massive role in this. So please stop looking at somebody else and thinking you want to look like them. You're never going to look like them. So that's the first thing to remember. The next thing that you really want to remember is that, like, what's your overall goal? So do you want to get lean? Okay, if you want to look toned and lean, you need to have more muscle mass on your body. How do you build muscle? You primarily work in hypertrophy right so we want to think about reps between 6 to 12 but there is a lot of benefits and we do know muscle growth benefits in working in strength which is going to be reps between kind of like 1 to 4 I should say 1 to 6 um, and then some endurance as well where we're going you know 12 reps up so working in all of those rep ranges are going to be very helpful for you to build muscle now you want to look toned then you need to decrease the amount of fat that you have on your body Lifting heavy is going to be relative to each person and how strong that person is. But the premise of this question is that if you want to look like a model, then you need to be the body shape of a model. You need to have the genetics of a model. And can I also just say, unfortunately, for a lot of the women that we've worked with who are in the modeling industry, a lot of them have eating disorders, a lot of them faint on set, a lot of them have autoimmune disorders now like chronic fatigue because they've literally had to starve themselves to be that thin there is a tiny percent of the population that are naturally that thin the rest it is incredibly unhealthy and i would by all means not be looking at these people wanting to be like them when they may look beautiful they may look incredible up there but they're really some of them i shouldn't speak for all of them but lots of them are pretty miserable next question How do you manage to get 2,000 to 2,500 calories without consuming too much fat and sugar? So I'm assuming you're asking without eating a lot of processed foods. Easy. Oh my goodness. If you cannot consume 2,000, 2,500 calories from like good foods, like it's so simple. So let's have, let's run through what I've eaten today. Okay. So I had my pre-workout meal, which was rice cakes um, and a protein shake And then I had, after my workout, I had four wheat bix For anyone that's not in Australia, that's a cereal. (laughs) Um, I had with Greek yogurt and a scoop of protein powder. Great. So I'm already up to maybe potentially, what's that? 800 calories. Then this afternoon, I'm going to have a snack. I'll have a, probably have some kind of a smoothie where I'm going to have banana, blueberries, a protein shake, maybe some more Greek yogurt in there as well. Right, that's going to take me up to at least 300 calories. I'm then going to have a snack of some nuts as well. Very calorie dense. And that's what you want to think about is having a calorie dense snack or meal where you're eating a small volume of food for a large amount of calories. So from there, what I do is I try to add fats. Really easy way to do that is just to add in olive oil to your meals, right? I'm bumping up calories without even knowing I'm bumping up calories. One tablespoon of olive oil is 120 calories. I'm choosing higher fat cuts of meat. So I'm adding in easy an extra 100 calories for the same amount of grams as I would say for chicken breast if I went for drumsticks, chicken drumsticks. I'm adding in calories so easily there. So going for full fat options. This person mentioned fat, sugar. Fat is not bad for us, right? Sugar, I'm assuming this person's really thinking about processed foods. I don't really eat any processed foods. Um, I have lots of white rice. I have lots of grass-fed butter. I'm a big, big fan of that. I have lots of higher, um, not really high fat meats, but not the leanest all the time. So I prefer chicken thigh over chicken breast. So just making just choices in that way 
going for full fat Greek yogurt, full fat milks, things like that to get those calories up. Once you're used to it, it's honestly so easy and cutting back sucks. But when you've been used to under consuming, it can feel so hard. Like, oh my goodness, how much am I eating right now? Like, how the heck can I get this much food in? But once you're used to it, it's like anything. You practice it, you become very good at it. Okay, this is my last question. How many grams of fats and carbs do you recommend for amenorrhea recovery? So hypothalamic amenorrhea is a loss of a menstrual cycle due to a range of different things. Could be low body fat percentage, could be low body weight, too much exercise, stress in your life. But a lot of the time it's someone that's under consuming. So what you really want to make sure you're doing, and honestly, fats and carbohydrates play a really important role here. So fats, I would be really aiming for about 30% of your total calories for the day to come from fats. Carbohydrates, I would be looking at at least 150 grams plus. I have majority of my girls on 200 grams plus when they're trying to recover from amenorrhea. Um, But that's going to come down to how many calories you're eating right now. If you're really under consuming, you're you're not going to be able to hit that amount of fats and that amount of um, carbohydrates. So you need to really start increasing your calories overall so you actually can be hitting those macros. Now, everyone's going to be different. This is just rough numbers. And obviously, when we do work with girls recovering from amenorrhea, we really get down to the source of why they've got HA. And then we reverse engineer and come up with a plan for them to be able to overcome that. Um, really quick thing I do want to share a win. We've just had one of our clients who came to us with HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, wanting to have a baby and she is pregnant. And I cannot reveal too much more about that at the moment. I also just have another client who's in the same boat who has just announced her pregnancy too. Oh, which is just like, honestly, there's nothing more rewarding than that. So look, it can feel really uncomfortable recovering from hypothalamic amenorrhea it's not easy but it is so 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 worth it and you're going to probably need to look at increasing what you're consuming now or if you feel like you're over exercising decreasing that staying away from high intensity training that's not going to do you any good in your recovery at the moment all right guys that is it from me i hope you enjoyed this q a session until next time big love coach tash (laughs) 